Uh, Today, we're announcing uh, an additional 31 new cases of COVID-19, bringing the total number of confirmed cases in Nova Scotia to 293. There are currently nine individuals in hospital. Uh, I need to correct that. Our news release said 10, but that was 10 people hospitalized overall. Today, we have nine people in hospital, uh, and 64 have recovered, and their cases of COVID-19 are considered resolved. Yesterday, we announced several options to expand our testing uh, to help us better identify and respond, respond to community spread. Today, we're taking that one step further and removing travel as one of the screening requirements for assessment. Starting today, uh, we'll be looking for any Nova Scotians who have developed fever or a new or worsening cough. Uh, Those are the symptoms that are predominant symptoms with COVID-19. And those are the people that we'll be looking uh, to test uh, to to see if they have another virus or if they have COVID-19. So anybody concerned they may have those symptoms or other uh, other reasons they may think they may have COVID-19, we're asking if if at all possible, go to the 811 website where there's a modified uh, screening assessment that's there online, uh, which will then direct them if necessary to, uh, to call 811 who will do further screening and then and then direct them to their nearest assessment site to arrange testing. This is an important step. It means we're robustly now, we have removed travel. We know we have COVID-19 here in our communities. Uh, the vast majority of, of Nova Scotians remain well and, and, and unaffected, but we have to be looking for, for this disease in Nova Scotians, not just based on travel uh, history anymore. To accommodate this, we have, as you've heard me say, we've continued to build capacity in the lab, uh, and now the lab, starting today, is running uh, 24-7 and will be able to process 1,000 tests a day. I do want to take a moment to thank my colleagues in the lab uh, to to do this. As uh, you say, running a standing up an operation to run it 24/7 is no uh, small task. I also want to thank my colleagues in uh, and, and my and, and co-workers in public health who are responding, uh, working long hours to respond to this expanded testing capacity, the increasing number of cases are, that are coming in. Uh, they remain uh, committed and, and professional in their work. Every single case uh, is followed up in a timely manner. Contacts are identified, and we're still, everybody who's getting a test result, whether it's positive or negative, is getting a call back uh, and a chance to hear from a voice and a- ask any questions. So uh, I really want to thank my colleagues in public health for the work that they are doing as well. I'd like to turn to long-term care now. There are nearly 11,000 people working in the long-term care sector. They are caring professional people who are working extraordinarily hard in this challenging time. Their hard work is paying off. We fortunately have seen very few cases of of COVID-19 in long-term care uh, residents, and we are thankful for that and want to keep it that way. Today, I'm directing the province's 132 long-term care homes to follow certain measures to prevent the introduction of COVID-19 into their homes and to reduce the spread if it does get introduced into a facility. Licensed nursing homes and residential care facilities received this directive earlier today. The measures contained in the directive are effective immediately. They are based on and build upon uh, the work that, that, that is done every, every year to, that public health supports long-term care facilities to respond to outbreaks of influenza and other respiratory diseases. But we're going one step further and, and making these a directive that, in, that is requiring long-term care facilities to take these steps. 
in summary, the long-term care homes are being asked to uh, screen and and uh, staff and residents twice to at least once a day, if not twice, and twice a day if it's operationally uh, feasible. That includes monitoring uh, of temperatures and staff who come in uh, to work at the start of their shift will be will be uh, uh, a, a quick screen of their health as well as their temperature will be taken. We will continue to require the require the reporting of any any uh, respiratory illness uh, to public health. Uh, typically, with influenza, it's two or more cases, but with COVID-19, we're saying one single case is potentially an outbreak, and that needs to be reported to public health. Any new admissions to a facility will require uh, health screening uh, to ensure that uh, that uh, somebody uh, hasn't been in, uh, potentially exposed to COVID-19, and if they have, uh, appropriate steps will be taken to uh, to isolate them. We have given clear direction on on uh, uh, if if there is a concern about COVID-19, a clear direction and instructions for uh, uh, for facilities about how they take the appropriate testing, uh, as well as identifying potential contacts of any individuals re residents who are tested. And then there's comprehensive uh, information there based on infection control and public health guidance for long-term care facilities to take uh, in their areas of environmental cleaning, uh, keeping line listing of, of individuals, cohorting individuals, groups of people together that help, that are standard measures uh, for any respiratory illness outbreak. We're also asking in this directive, or we're not asking, we're directing uh, that there's a reinforcement of physical distancing, uh, enhanced cleaning, uh, um, uh, restrictions on visitors, um, et cetera. You, you may ask, why, why are we doing this now as a directive? Uh, I want people to know that this isn't new. It's not a surprise. We have been doing this, as I said, based on our experience with influenza. We have been doing this for COVID-19 for the last couple of weeks as, we, as our long-term care, care facilities be, became affected. But we now feel that we need to uh, move this from a guideline that facilities are being asked to do to actually make it a very clear directive that is an expectation that, that the, all these long-term care facilities uh, are required to take these steps to maximize the safety of their residents and to protect their health care workers. This is the this is the next step uh, we are doing to ex to have uh, things as safe as possible for uh, for the the most vulnerable uh, some of the most vulnerable in our in our communities which are our residents in our long term care facilities. It's also the things that are going to help protect the healthcare workers who are still uh, willing to go into work every day to provide the necessary care for those residents. As I mentioned previously, that uh, in the last couple of days around a lot of discussion happening around the use of masks by the public, uh, and there has now been some guidance provided by that uh, overnight by the Public Health Agency of Canada. You may have heard Theresa Tam uh, talking about this either uh, last night or this morning. As we get more experience from around the world, uh, it's clear that, uh, that the, while the vast majority of people become infectious when they become symptomatic, and that is clearly the main driver of transmission of this disease, there certainly are some people who are what we're now calling pre-symptomatic. They're very, very mildly symptomatic. And it may, they may not even recognize they're unwell, and, and we're often only identifying them when we go back and have public health follows up and has a detailed discussion with them. They go, yeah, you know what, I actually wasn't feeling quite so well back then. So we're calling them pre-symptomatic. And there also is evidence that people may be completely well, asymptomatic, and still be able to spread the virus in the 48 hours before they even start to feel unwell in any way.
with this emerging evidence, uh, there's now becomes uh, we come to a consensus among chief medical officers of health that that the members of the public uh, can wear a non-medical grade uh, mask uh, when they're out in public that may have some role in preventing the spread uh, of, 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 of COVID virus uh, to others. It's important, a couple of points there. The evidence on this is not clear at all, but we felt there's enough suggestive evidence that this is something we can, we can suggest to Canadians they need to do. We're not saying that every Canadian has to, but if, if, if Canadians feel, and Nova Scotians feel they want to do this, it is a small thing that they can do to help uh, protect themselves and others. The role that masks can play would be uh, decreasing uh, their exposure, but even more importantly, it would be if they are one of these people who may be an asymptomatic or a presymptomatic transmitter, the mask will help prevent the spread of virus out, out of their nose and mouth uh, and into the environment and others. It's important a couple of things here that that uh, that is critically important that the public understand this. We're talking about non-medical grade masks. It's critically important that the medical supply of masks and other personal protective equipment is maintained for the healthcare system and for other essential workers. The Public Health Agency of Canada, I learned this morning, is going to be coming out very soon with some online instructions that, that about people can make their own masks. So it's the, the type of masks where we're saying that people can choose to use out in the general public are non-medical grade or even homemade masks, and there'll be more uh, information on how to do those uh, over time. It's also critically important that people who choose to wear a mask, and these are probably most, uh, where I would suggest where they're most valuable is in places where people maybe can't be sure that they're gonna be able to maintain that social distancing. So if you go to a grocery store or going shopping, that may be the, mo the most appropriate place if you wanna consider using a mask. But it's critically important that people don't get a false sense of assurance and then stop doing the good hand washing the social distancing, all the other measures we're asking them to do. Uh, if you choose to use a mask, great, but don't let that stop you from doing all the necessary personal protective measures and, and the social distancing. And I'm going to end up by talking a little bit about uh, the public health measures and uh, some of the provide a bit more clarity, some questions coming even from my comments that I, I made yesterday uh, around driving in particular. I know that a lot of people are worried about COVID-19 and, and the vast majority of Nova Scotians want to do what we're asking and telling to do. They want to do their part. Um, but I'm also hearing that, uh, that my comments about, around driving and even before that, some people may be afraid that, that they're missing medical appointments. They're not going to get their, uh, get, get their uh, necessary prescriptions from a pharmacy because they're afraid uh, of, of driving. They're afraid they might be fined. People need to understand that the police are not, if they see you out driving, they're not going to be stopping you and ask why you're driving. We're not ticketing people for driving. What we are asking people, like it comes back to common sense. If you do need to make an essential trip, some people, including myself, drive in, have to go to work. That's, that's fine. That's necessary. We also know people have to make essential shopping trips to get their groceries, get their, get their pharmaceutical products, get money from the bank potentially. But what we are asking the people to do is use those with common sense. Minimize the number of trips you make. Only have one person go shopping. But please, my, my, what I was asking yesterday was to not use driving as a, just a social occasion. 
uh, but essential driving, essential trips, we recognize that's important and necessary.